Wonderful. Well, if you do have a Bible, feel free to open it up, Hebrews 13, where we'll be looking, um, if you've got it on your phone or a paper one as well. And all day in church, we've been thinking about hospitality. That's been our theme. Hospitality is a word we use a lot. Maybe we overuse it. Maybe sometimes we misuse it. I think of that phrase, hospitality industry. It's a bit of an oxymoron, isn't it? Do you have people working very hard to make you feel at home? hospitality, but at the same time you know that behind all of the smiling and politeness, they are just doing their job. Industry. It's not really your friends. When the barista is like, how are you? That isn't often uh, an overture to, can we be buddies? They, They don't mean that. They're just doing their job, and a hard job it is too. We all know there's a difference between what we call hospitality and the real thing. Well, what about in church? We talk about hospitality a lot in church. Are we doing the real thing? If I may be so bold, I think that a lot of the time, actually, we're not doing the kind of hospitality we just read about. We're entertaining our friends. That's what Christians often do. We want to spend time with people who like us, people who are like us. And that's not evil or wrong. I'm not saying we should stop doing that. But did you notice It's not what Hebrews 13.2 was talking about. So have a look at it. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. It's the welcome to strangers that hospitality is really about in the Bible. Now, why would you do that? Why would you welcome a stranger into your life, into your home? The verse carries on. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. You might expect that when the Bible wants to encourage you to do hospitality, that it would tell you about how good it is for other people. Do it because it'll bless someone else. Or you might expect that the Bible will talk about how hospitality is strategic. How when we open up our homes, we create a warm setting for outsiders to come in, or perhaps others at church to go deeper. Now, everything I've just said is true. Hospitality is good for other people. It is strategic. But again, that's not what the verse was saying. Look again. Why show it? For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. In other words, show hospitality because there might be something in it for you. And not even in a self-serving way, but by showing the kind of hospitality we're looking at tonight you will discover the riches of God. See, because of what God is like, hospitality is not something that just costs the host and leaves them empty. It's something that brings fullness to a host and joy. That's what we're going to see. Now, let me give you some context for the letter of Hebrews. It was written to Christians from a Jewish background who had started following Jesus but also started to experience persecution because of that. And so they were tempted to turn back. And the writer to Hebrews, we don't know who they were, is writing to say, don't do that. You can't turn back from Jesus. All through the book, the writer has said that the Old Testament was full of shadows. And Jesus is the reality that those things are shadows of. So don't move on from Jesus. You can't move on from Jesus. 
turn away from him, and you don't have the real thing anymore. You're just left with the shadows. And this final chapter, chapter 13, takes that seriously too. In this chapter, there are loads of instructions showing how when you obey Jesus, you have the reality of the thing the Old Testament was a shadow of. So if you've got it in front of you, you can see that in a few different places. So for instance, verse 9, it is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. See what he's saying or she's saying? The writer is saying, grace is the thing that really nourishes you, not food from the tabernacle. Or this one, which I really love. Verse 11, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gates to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. You see, being on the margins for Jesus means experiencing what Old Testament sacrifices were just a shadow of. And it's the same in verse 2. Verse 2 tells us that welcoming strangers, showing hospitality to them, means entering the world of Old Testament welcome, where sometimes the strangers are angels. And those readings that Ben brought from Genesis show us the first time that happens in the Old Testament. Because, you know, it happens several times that a stranger comes and is welcomed and turns out to be an angel. But it's the very first time with Abraham. And I have one big thing for us to see this evening. One big thing that I'm praying the Lord will work into our hearts. Not just something we know, but something we can live too. Here it is. Because of what God is like, hospitality blesses the host as well as the guest. That's what I want us to see from those readings. Because of what God is like, hospitality blesses the host as well as the guest. So in Genesis 18, Abraham and Sarah are examples of a lavish welcome. They are models of hospitality in what they do. And hospitality was extremely important in the ancient world. If you know various mythologies or pagan religions, you'll know that there are all kinds of stories of the gods disguised as strangers coming as guests. Why all those stories? Why is hospitality so important? It's because nobody was more vulnerable than a traveller in the ancient world. Vulnerable to the elements, vulnerable to being exploited. You could so easily take advantage of one of these strangers as they were passing through but Abraham and Sarah won't do that. In fact, they're excited by the opportunity the stranger presents. You find that Abraham is sitting in his tent doorway, just passing the time, and he sees the strangers, and he rushes over to them. Verse 2, he bows down low before them. Verse 3, he calls himself their servant. These strangers are an opportunity to be generous, and Abraham is not going to miss out. And so what does he do? he prepares comical amounts of food, hilarious amounts of food, which is actually obscured in the translation because it talks about three seers of flour, and who knows what that means? Well, I'll tell you, it's 16 kilograms of flour. Don't know if any of you are bakers. I'm not a baker. uh, That's normal to me, 16 kilograms of flour makes... Actually, I'm told one kilogram of flour makes a baker's dozen of good bread rolls. So do the math. I'll do it for you. Abraham and Sarah have made 208 bread rolls for these three angels. It's comical. 
And then Abraham goes and gets a choice tender calf, the best of the herd, the kind you'd be keeping for your daughter's wedding, and prepares it to serve up these guests. It's a comical amount of food, full of blessing. Coming from an Indian culture, I, I half wonder whether Abraham and Sarah were actually Indian, because this is very much the kind of thing I grew up around. It's why I grew up so large. And I remember my wife coming over for dinner with my, my family. We, we drove over to see them and go out to dinner, and that was the whole thing. So when we arrived an hour earlier, my wife was shocked to discover that my mum had basically prepared another meal for us to eat, which once we'd finished, we would then go and have dinner. That's just what we did. And I think Abraham and Sarah are cut from the same cloth. They cannot bear just offering a little. It's lavish hospitality. They are models of the lavish welcome God wants us to be offering the stranger. And they are a contrast to what we're going to see in the next chapter in Genesis, if you keep reading. Because what happens is two of these strangers go to the city of Sodom, where Lot tries to offer hospitality, but the wider city does not. And you can read what that's like. Very often people talk about Sodom as if its only sin was sexual abuse. Now, that was definitely part of the vile package. But the Bible condemns Sodom for all sorts of other sins as well, their greed and their desire to exploit the stranger. That's what makes Sodom, evil hosts that they were, so horrific to God. And he destroys the city. But instead, he holds up Abraham and Sarah as an amazing example of a lavish welcome. But you know, the Bible says that Abraham and Sarah were actually blessed even more than their guests. Even though they offered such an amazing, lavish welcome, they received more when they welcomed in these strangers. Because it turns out that these were not just any old strangers, they were angels sent from God on a mission to more than match Abraham and Sarah's lavish welcome with God's lavish promise. That's what they had come to do. And it's remarkable, actually, if you were listening to, to, to Ben as he read it, there's a lot of strangeness in that description. We read that they, these three strangers, but one of them speaks as the Lord himself. It's not a surprise that Christians have meditated on the mystery of the Trinity when they think about these three strangers and what possibly they might represent. Now, sometimes angels show up and they are very much angels. The Blessed Virgin Mary was terrified when she met the angel Gabriel because he showed up very much as an angel and angels are beings of great power and glory, overwhelming to look at. But that wasn't the case here. Here, there's no sense that Abraham and Sarah realized what was going on. They came as strangers, but they came to do God's work and to bring a word of promise. Now, just think about where we are in Genesis. It's been many, many years since God first called Abraham as he was then. Many years since he first promised that Abraham would become the father of a great nation. Many years in which Abraham and Sarah have been getting older and older, and the biological clock has ticked and ticked and ticked and probably needed new batteries. Many years. So that the promise which sounded too good to be true must have become too hard to believe. But here's the thing. God is the Lord. He is the creator of heaven and earth, and nothing is too hard for him. Nothing can stop him from keeping his word. 
And so he comes with these angels to speak his word of promise, a lavish word of promise, even more wonderful than the welcome Abraham and Sarah offered. He says there in verse 10, I will come back this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Which triggers one of the most awkward moments in the Bible. Sarah, overhearing this promise, laughs because it's so lavish. It's laughable to her. What a ridiculous thing. And the Lord says, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And Sarah, at this point, caught out lies. She says, I did not laugh, but you can't really lie to God. He says, yes, you did laugh. And I love that our reading just ended there. Very, very awkward. But amazingly, all of that fear, all of that laughter, even that awkwardness gets redeemed by God when he keeps his promise. So Genesis 21, verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. So despite being so old and Abraham being so old, they had a son, Isaac, which means he laughs. I love that earlier, I think it's Theo in the corner was doing some laughing for us so that we can enjoy that sound and prepare us for the Bible reading. And we read verse six, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. So who's laughing now? Still Sarah, but this time with joy because the thing that seemed too good to be true has come true. That's what God does in the gospel. And when we see his promise-keeping power, his people discover indestructible joy. Psalm 126 says that when God restores his people, our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with joy. Well, of course, of course. And you might know that you can see it in Romans 4, but also Hebrews 11. Sarah having Isaac out of the barrenness of a dead womb is a picture and a pointer to a dead Jesus breaking out of the tomb and coming to life. We who know the promise keeping of power are welcomed into the indestructible joy that gets Sarah laughing. Laughing not with unbelief, but laughing because God has kept his promise. And he always does. He always does. Abraham and Sarah offered a lavish welcome, but they were more than matched by the lavish promise that God came to bring. And he came to bring it as their guest. This is the really remarkable thing. God is the ultimate host. If you think about it, he's the host of everything. He is the host of reality. And we are his guests. We are guests in the world that he made. We live where he puts us, and all we have is what he gives to us. He is the host. But here we see that God, the ultimate host, draws near as a stranger to become our guest. So that God is on both sides of the host-guest relationship, which means that how we treat strangers who depend on us is actually a statement of how we treat God on whom we depend. Now that mystery becomes even clearer in the gospel. You know, perhaps in John chapter one, we read, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God, the ultimate host, comes as a stranger 
He opens his arms in Jesus and says, will you have me? Will you welcome me? That's a question for each one of us tonight. And if you have, the question is, has welcoming Jesus made you more welcoming to others? Does that enable you to welcome strangers? I have resisted in this sermon making it all about angels because angels are fascinating and the Bible tells us a lot about them. And sometimes Christians don't really know all the things we could know. For instance, this book of Hebrews begins in chapter one by telling us lots about angels so that by looking at them, we can realize the greater glory of the Son who is God. But here's the thing. Sometimes we meet Christians who have an appetite for the weird. They love that sort of supernatural stuff. They hear about angels and their eyes light up. They are so much more excited about that than anything else. And they're just drooling at the thought of angelic visitations and, and, and miracles and all sorts of things I wouldn't normally see. And can I just say, those heavenly mysteries are real. There really are more things in heaven and earth than we understand. Of course there are. But what's, this, what's the impact of that supposed to be? Hebrews 13.2 tells you, it's meant to change your ordinary life. You're not meant to become someone who obsesses over the weird, as interesting as it is, but someone whose understanding of heavenly mysteries shapes your ordinary life. So that because you know about how angels have come to God's people in the past, you see the beauty and value of hospitality to strangers. It's not like that Robbie Williams song, which is apparently very popular at funerals, you know, I'm loving angels instead. Don't do that. Don't love angels instead. No, instead of loving angels rather than actual people, love actual people because of angels. That's what Hebrews 13.2 is saying. Because there are angels, because there is a spiritual reality, open up your hands to those who are needy. Open up your homes to those who are strangers because you know that that kind of ordinary hospitality is how you open yourself up to those heavenly mysteries. Because of what God is like, hospitality to strangers blesses the host as well as the guest. And so Hebrews 13.2 says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. Don't forget. Remember. How do we do that? Well, perhaps tonight and through this week, you should be asking that of the Lord. Say, Lord, show me what welcoming strangers looks like for me. Open my eyes to those needs. And as you ask him that, ask yourself, how could I share my space, my goods, my time with those around me? And not just my friends that I already know, but those I don't yet know. And ask, can I be lavish when I do that? When I share my space, can I make people who come in feel like they're at home? When I share my, my goods, can I be open-handed rather than clinging on to everything I have? If you ever try and borrow a book from me, you'll see the hunted look in my eyes as I plead with you to look after it. Probably a sign that I value those books too much, but I did have someone read one of my books in the bath and drop it in the bath, which is inhumane. But anyway, I shouldn't be like that. None of us should be like that. When I share my goods, I should really offer them with that open hand and generosity. When I share my time, can I make people feel that I'm present with them in that moment? rather than just hurrying them along, moving on to the next thing. Can I be lavish with what I share? As we finish, let me just give us two starting points from Scripture 
for how we can start practicing this kind of hospitality and welcome to strangers. So here's the first one I've got. Begin in church. Begin welcoming strangers in church. Hebrews 13, 1, the first verse says, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. That's the context for this talk about hospitality. Hebrews is talking primarily about Christian strangers, which makes sense if you think about the first century. Traveling preachers depended on this kind of hospitality from people who didn't know them in order for the gospel to spread. And remember what I said about persecution? There would have been Christians fleeing for their lives. Again, they needed this kind of hospitality, even though they were strangers. This hospitality should begin in church. Or think about Matthew 25. I think we might be coming to it in future weeks, but you know that's the parable of the sheep and the goats, the righteous and those who are condemned. And Jesus says to the righteous, I was a stranger and you invited me in. And the righteous don't know when they did that. When do we do that, Lord? And he says, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. And who are his brothers and sisters? Well, he tells us, Matthew chapter 12. He points at his disciples and says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother, right? So this begins in church. So here's the question. Are there strangers at Highfield to you? I bet there are. I'm sure there are. I think one of the weird things about our church is that it's possible to go to one congregation for many years, but maybe never even know some of the people who go to the other congregations. It's just one of the things about the community we are. But it's sad that we are shoulder to shoulder, part of the same church family, and yet don't even know each other. This might be a really good start. Welcome a stranger in church. I love it when I see people mixing from our different congregations. Sometimes I see that at the Wednesday night gathering as part of Devoted or midweek in the mornings at House of Prayer as people gather. Begin in church. Don't just entertain friends and people you know, but make strangers feel like the family we are at Highfield. Can I say something a little bit sharp-edged? And please don't take this the wrong way, but maybe you need to hear it as much as I do. So often I think when we come to church, we're really good at saying, I wasn't welcomed. People didn't welcome me. And that is an indictment on a church when you don't feel welcome. And I like whinging like that all the time. But I found that the best thing to do about that is to get on and welcome someone else. If you don't feel very welcome, maybe try having people around for food. Maybe take that first step. You might discover more of that welcome as you get stuck in. That might be the best thing to do if you don't feel very welcome right now. Although, of course, let's strive to be the kind of church where no one feels like that in the first place. So first, begin in church. Second, let that welcome that we begin in church flow to others. Let that flow beyond our walls out into our community. Galatians 6.10 is a really helpful verse. Paul writes there, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let us do good to all people. And remember, as we have opportunity which is a very helpful thing to hear because sometimes you hear a sermon like this and you're just overwhelmed with the need. You think, I can't welcome every stranger I see. Well, no one's asking you to, don't worry. But just because you can't do everything doesn't mean you shouldn't do anything. As you have opportunity, offer this kind of hospitality and do good to all. And so the welcome we have for strangers in church can and will flow out and overflow 
into our community. Just think about some of the ways we can do that here. Think about living room, which is a great place where students from Highfields eat, but also any student can come and be welcome. Could that be something you're praying about or perhaps helping with? Think about Alpha and the catering we do there and the edible welcome that is offered to people who are seeking and asking big questions. Could that be something you're involved with and helping? Perhaps most excitingly to me is Open House, which is starting a week tomorrow, the 31st. It's an amazing opportunity for us as a church to open our space to the community and welcome people in. Could that be something you're part of? Could that be something you're praying about? Or perhaps get to know some of the great stuff that's happening in our city. Think about the organisation CLEAR, uh, which begins, began at City Life and I think is still based there. They welcome refugees who come to Southampton and meet their needs. Maybe look them up this week. See what their needs are that you can pray about or give to or volunteer for. Let this welcome flow out into our community. And if you're thinking about hospitality and want to know how to do it better, <coughs> I have a book recommendation and I won't lend it to you. Only joking. But seriously, probably buy it. It's by Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, who's got one of the best names I've ever heard. And it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, which is a great title in and of itself. And she talks about radically ordinary hospitality. And she says this, it'll come up on the screen. Radically ordinary hospitality is this, using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers, neighbours, and neighbours the family of God. It brings glory to God serves others and lives out the gospel in word and deed. I'll read a bit I didn't put up. She says, if you are prohibited from using your living space in this way, it counts if you support in some way some household in your church that is doing it. And she says, when our Christian homes are open, we make transparent to a watching world what Christ is doing with our bodies, our families, and our world. That's what we can be doing through hospitality. It's an amazing book. It's really inspiring. Please do get a copy and read it because it might inspire you to make your home that kind of place. Strangers become neighbours, neighbours become family. So, hospitality to strangers. It's not just something in which the host is giving and gets nothing back, but because of what God's like, the host is probably blessed even more than the guest. I'm an introvert, and so I find welcoming people into my home I feel about it the way I feel about exercise. And I know what you're thinking, you never do it. That's not, no, I do, I do exercise and I do try and do hospitality. But what I mean is, I find the thought of it really intimidating before I do it. But then I find when I am doing it, I really enjoy it. And after I've done it, I feel so much better. And when people have left, goodbyes have been said, the front door closes, I realize that our home has been lit up in the most wonderful ways. When the home is empty, it actually feels smaller, doesn't it? If you ever walk around an empty home, and that doesn't make sense because there are a few people in it, so it should be feeling bigger. There's more physical space. But here's the thing. When people are in the home with their laughter or tears or chatter or silence, there may be less physical space, but there is more relational space. And as that opens up, the home feels bigger and warmer and better in every way. Why not take God at his word? You may not entertain an angel, or maybe you will. Maybe you already have. But either way, welcome the stranger 
and discover how there's blessing in that, not just for the guest, but for the host, maybe most for the host. Thank you.